Welcome to the last of our Sunday messages in the New Church Paradigm campaign. Uh, we're really excited about this and I hope that momentum is built, built for you over this, this period of time. As it's the last message, there's, just, there's going to be a bit of a shift and the shift today is actually a little bit of dreaming, a little bit of dreaming about what could be. And to start with, I wanted to just start with a song. I'm going to read the lyrics to a song that was written in 2008 by the script. And the song goes this way. I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. Just praying to a God that I don't believe in. And it goes, I'm falling to pieces, sort of thing. That's, that's, that's the song. I'm not here to sing. I'm just here to, to, to share a message about maybe that's how we're feeling as a church right now. As the church in this nation, as the church in Western Sydney, as the church in general is feeling in the West, I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. Just praying to a God that I, do I believe in? Are we falling to pieces? We actually asked some questions last year in the New Church Paradigm interviews, which said, is the church in trouble or is it broken? And there was a, there was a, there was a, a question which, which was a good question for us to ponder. Are we falling to pieces? Well, from time to time, it's really, really good to actually look at the Bible and see what has the Bible got to say in times like this. And there's a particular place I want to take us to. It's a particular place in the Bible uh, historically. And this, this time right now is 589 BC. Jerusalem has fallen. This is the exile time. The exile, in the exile time, what happens is the people of God are kind of chanting that word, I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. I'm praying to a God, where is he? He seems to abandon us. Do I believe him? And for the people of Israel, they would have been saying, I'm falling to pieces. They're exiled, they're in Babylon, their capital city, Jerusalem, has fallen. And a weight of hopelessness has come on. In the Bible, they, they actually start to be called the remnant. And I think it's a great period of history to look at because I think we reflect a lot of that in and of ourselves. It, it was a period of time when that no longer did they rule themselves. No longer did they put the policies in place. And we, we as a church are in one sense in exile. Uh, we don't get to set policies and we're grieving that. We don't get to set policies about scripture in school. We don't get to set policies about marriage. We don't get to set policies about all sorts of different, different things. But the beauty of God's people is that we don't need to function in our own power. So let's have a look at this period of time. And there's a letter that Jeremiah writes in this period of time. And, it, and, it has the, and, it's, and we have one verse in Jeremiah 29, which, which we've all heard. But think of it in the context of exile. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In the midst of judgment, which Jeremiah is bringing, in the midst of exile, because of the, the way the people of Israel had forgotten their God, there's this promise, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Well, let's have a look at the context of that cry. Because I dare to dream with us that if we seek him, we will find him if we seek him with all our heart. Here's the context. It's in Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read the whole letter. And this is the word spoken to the people in exile, to the, to the I'm falling to pieces 
community. To the, and and I, I think it's a word to us. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King, King Nebuchadnezzar. It's, it's a, like a letter to all the leaders of the church, all the people of the church right now. This was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. So everybody, every part of the people of God are in exile, are deported. And it goes on, he sent this letter with Elassar, son of Shaphan, Gemiah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what Jeremiah's letter said. So I want you to imagine we've got this letter written to us as a church right now in exile. You know, they did 70 years in exile. We're in our sixth to seventh decade of decline as a church. Imagine us in exile. Imagine us feeling we're like a remnant falling to pieces. This is the letter we can receive. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry. Have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. And I love this phrase. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city you're in where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for Babylon. Pray for the city. Pray for our nation. For its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Let's remember, we're thinking even in our context. This has happened before. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I'll come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I'll bring you home again. For I know the plans. Here's a verse. We, we stick it on Hallmark cards. We, we stick it on posters. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. I wonder if that's where we're, where we're at right now. Are we actually starting to embrace those plans? I'll talk about that a little bit later time. In those days, when you pray, so in exile, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholehearted, you will find me. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Imagine that letter written to us, the body of Christ, right now. There's just four things I want to bring out of that letter, which I think we can, which I think we can learn some wonderful lessons. And the first is that we are to be a people of place. I'll talk about it in a moment. We are also, secondly, to be a people of peace and prosperity. We're meant to be a people of promise and plans, God's plans. And we're meant to be a people of prayer and passion. I've titled this message, New Wine for a New Era. Jesus told stories, uh, told this, sorry, this amazing parable of uh, he brings new wine, but it busts open old wineskins. The people of Israel had to see things differently. We have to see things differently. We have to be the new wine and it will bust our old paradigms. It will bust 
our old wineskins and a new paradigm will, will, will be needed for the new wine. And these four things I think are really key. And the first is we're called to be a people of place. The new wine is a people of, of place, a people committed to a space, to a people group. Let me read to you back, Jeremiah, again. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens. In other words, occupy the space that I have sent you. Eat the food that they produce. Marry, have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. I wonder what was going through the people of Israel who were exiled to Babylon. Hunker down, um, uh, hope for the best. I wonder if as we as a church, it's hunker down, hope for the best. But here we have a promise that says, don't dwindle, multiply. We're sitting and saying, well, how do we multiply? Because we've been dwindling. Well, part of it is being committed to the spaces he has sent us. Committed to the places where we work. Committed to the places our neighbourhoods. You would have seen in the New Church Paradigm interview, so much is said of us looking outside ourselves. The church not looking to itself. Jerusalem... Uh, the people of Israel had seen Jerusalem and the temple in and of itself as that's what we worship. And, 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 and it was almost going, we put our trust in these bricks and mortar and this temple and God's going, hang on a minute. Seek me with all your heart. And here we had this opportunity to press into God, but also press into the places that he has sent us. We can grow. We can multiply. We don't need to have policy capacity or the ability to rule our own destinies uh, through, through government permission. We don't need that to grow at all. The persecuted church hasn't got it. The New Testament church had the Holy Spirit. They didn't have it. They just committed to their spaces. And their spaces were in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, at the ends of the earth. Think through your calling to space. I've got a, a particular reformer that I like, a phrase he said. John Knox, he was a Scottish reformer, and he said this. He said, give me Scotland lest I die. I love that. Give me Scotland lest I die. I think the new church paradigm is a whole group of people saying, give me, you fill in the blank, lest I die. I have a friend in Newcastle, Rick Prosser, who spoke in the New Church Paradigm, and he taught me a lot about place. And he said this, he, he, if you listen to him, he will say, give me Newcastle, lest I die. He's a, he's a, he's a Novocastrian. For me, I cry, give me, greater, give me the greater west of Sydney, lest I die. And recently, give me Penrith, lest I die. What's the cry of our people? Um, someone goes on the mission field, they don't say, oh, I'm just going to be a missionary to the world. They find a people group, they find a city, they find a, a, a group to reach, and they say, give me that group, lest I die. And they give their lives to it. They give their, the new church will give its life to its neighbourhood, to its communities. A few years ago, I remember I was asked to consider being part of a church and they sent me their church profile to consider pastoring a church. And it was, a, it was an honour to be invited to this space. But what I found, I read through the document, the church profile, my gifts, they really lined up. And I got to the end of it and my, my comment to myself and probably a whisper from the Lord was, wrong postcode. It wasn't in the greater West. They were told, the people of Israel were told to bed in, to hunker down in a good way, to bed into the, into the community of, in Babylon. And this, Babylon's a measure of the sinful city in the Bible. 
to not dwindle, to multiply. The second part of it is they were called to, to peace and prosperity. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Exiled, ruled by Babylon, peace and prosperity is, your plan, is the plan I have for you. And they were there because of sins they'd committed as a nation. And it's hard for us to imagine. Peace and prosperity? We're called the new wine is a people of peace and prosperity. And that means city transformation and suburban transformation. Let me read to you Jeremiah 29, 7, where this comes from. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I wonder if our prayers right now are more along the lines of help the church, help me, help Christianity, help me. And we've got an exile here saying, pray for the city. One, I wonder if we're actually crying out for our city or we're seeing our city as something that, that's against us. I wonder if our cries are for the peace and the prosperity of the city. Because if I come back to or to our suburbs or our neighbourhoods, because I come back to that verse, work for the peace and prosperity of the city. So energise ourselves into that, even though it feels like exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Dale Stevenson said last year in the New Church Paradigm interviews, he talked about it's time for us to lay down our, our, our pride and our egos and our denominational you know, logos, if you like, to lay them down and work together for the peace and the prosperity and the gospel coming into our, into our nation and into our suburbs and into our city. It's time to, to invest into our, into our cities. Blessed are the peacemakers, the Bible says. It's time for us to be that. And we won't do it through law. We won't do it through, through legislation that, we've in, 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 that we bring in. It'll come through us actually making that decision to work towards that. We have a program in the Greater West called Coach. And Coach is a program which connects followers of Jesus Christ with the most disadvantaged in our cities. Sounds a bit like Jesus. He came to set the captives free. He came to bring good news to the poor. He came to see transformation. The new church paradigm, I believe, the new wine will be a, a whole new focus on the welfare of the city, the welfare of our suburbs, the welfare of the looking out outside ourselves, the multiplying because um, people are coming in to the church and experiencing it, at, not it, it as, a, as, a, as a light on a hill. The last thing we need to be is a refuge where we go away and become a refuge for ourselves. We need to be a refuge for the city. The third thing, and it starts to get exciting for me right now, the third thing is awesome. The third thing that we read in this is we're meant to be a people of promise and plans. God's plans. The new wine is, 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 is I believe, we are a set-apart people Living by God's promise, no matter the atmosphere. See, Babylon didn't have plans for God's people. The atmosphere was actually was, had nothing to do with God's plans for God's people. Our nation, our suburbs, our, our, our cities may not have plans for us, for God's people. But God has plans. The harvest is plentiful, as, as, as Jesus said. The workers are few. There's a harvest. There's plans. There's God's plans. Let me read to you. For I know, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, 
not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In other words, we, are, we may feel like we're in exile. We may like, feel like we're falling to pieces. We, 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 we may feel like um, we're broken, but the reality is there are plans, God's plans, and they're not, they're not their nation's plans. They're not, they're not Babylon's plans. They are God's plans. Our atmosphere may actually look like there's no plans for us or there is a plan for us for our demise or for, for Christians to be in, de, in decline. That might feel like the plan that's being impressed on, but that's not God's plan. God's, God's plan is, is, is filled with promise and hope and a future. We asked a question last year, is the church broken or in trouble? And the answers that came back from everyone pretty much was, well, well, before we start saying that, it's Christ's church. Christ has a plan for his church. The other answer came was, the institution is in trouble. The institution of church, and broken. But new wine is a belief that Christ still has a plan for his church. We just got to find out what it is. This campaign was designed to raise a dissatisfaction in the status quo. Not dissatisfaction that we've lost our rights as a church, but a dissatisfaction that people aren't coming to know Jesus. A dissatisfaction for for God's sake, for His sake. People aren't getting to know Him. People aren't being saved. And we hope that this campaign has raised a dissatisfaction. What I'm here to say today, it's time for us to discern, to move from dissatisfaction to discern the hopes and the plans and the dreams God has for us in each of our lives. Say, what are the plans you have for us? What are the promises you have for us? Because we're not going to have our fruitfulness determined by our atmosphere. I love that phrase. We go to John 15. Our fruitfulness is determined by the vine as we are the branches. Our fruitfulness does not come from our circumstances or from our exile or from from what's around us. They come from something deeper. We are like a tree planted by the river, drawing deep from God and know that there is atmosphere of, 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 of drought and famine and struggle. Suddenly we bear fruit. We are evergreen. The Bible talks of this. They're the plans that God has for us to prosper us. We are hoping that this year we move from our dissatisfaction where we discern his will and then we move to a space of decision and you'll have already heard a message from Tony about courage and stepping out and stepping out in faith where we decide, we're a people of faith, where we decide to walk in his will. That's the hope that happens this year. That's the hope we have coming out of this difficult atmosphere of COVID. God has plans. Even if, we, even if we think society has its plans, God has plans. There are plans for our lives. And we need to be a people of plans and we need to be a people of, of walking in step with, her, with those plans. Fourth thing is a people of prayer and passion. Okay, I get... Have a listen to this. The new wine, I, I believe, is a wholehearted people for God, searching for God, uh, longing for God, understanding his call in our lives, stepping out in faith. It is a Holy Spirit-filled people, led by the Holy Spirit, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, uh, stewarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. It's functioning the counsel of the Holy Spirit, John 14, John 16. It is bearing fruit of the Spirit, uh, Galatians 5. It is the Holy Spirit has been given to the church, and it was given to the New Testament church, and they function in power, and they had no authority. They had no position. They felt small, but they wanted to multiply. God had called them to multiply. That hasn't changed. 
We are called to be a people of prayer and passion. Let me read to you again, Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. In those days, in these days, when we pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You will find me. And here is my favourite part of the message. Listen to this. Daniel in exile. So it's great. Jeremiah wrote this letter, wrote the promise. Let me show you someone who lived it out and let's follow in his footsteps. Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 to 3. He's in exile and he reads these words. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Hasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So here's Daniel's reading the same letter I've just read to you. He goes, and this was his response. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Do you know, the new church paradigm was about innovation. It was about strategy. It was about where to next in response very much to COVID. But during this season, the Greater West Executive Team and many others went plunged themselves into 40 days of prayer and fasting. We believe in innovation and purpose and vision and strategy and all that sort of stuff. But more than that, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God has the answers. That we believe that this needs to be a move of God. And that's how Daniel responded to the letter that Jeremiah had written. He finishes with these words, and I think this should be our cry. Daniel 9, 17 to 19. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake, for God's sake. Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, lean down, listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, see how your church, Lord, that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy, God. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people and your city, for your people and your church, we bear your name. That's what it is to be people of prayer. That's what it is to be a people of passion. That's how, day, that's how Daniel responded to the letter that was written to an exiled and exile people of God. That's, that can be our response to this situation, this exile we find ourselves in as a church. Do you know, he, he opened his doors to, to Jerusalem three times a day and that's the sort of prayer he cried. And in the midst of a place where they didn't have authority, the exiles didn't have authority, we have stories in Daniel of miracles. We have stories of kings being influenced. We have stories of lions' mouths being shut. We have stories of, of, of flames not burning, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We have these amazing stories of, uh, in, in, in exile of God showing up. The realities of what Jeremiah had prophesied. We believe there's going to be more stories like that. It certainly wouldn't have been part of the strategic plan of the people of Israel to be in lion's dens, to have to figure out not bowing down to idols, to have to uh, go through flaming furnaces, uh, interpreting dreams. This is the stuff that I think God wants to do in us. But it's going to take the heart of Daniel. 
Oz Guinness, I have this quote, which I, I thought, oh, would I use it? Yeah, I'm going to use it. I love this quote. He said, for some people, the grand passion is art, music or literature. For others, the dream of freedom and justice. For yet others, the love of a man or woman. But search as you will. There is no higher or more ultimate passion than a human being ablaze with a desire for God. What if the new church paradigm was that simple? It was time for us to be ablaze with a desire for God, which caused us to fast, to go without food, to go without sleep, to prioritise the pursuing of God and his mercy on us as a church, to seek him. What if that was the mark of the new church paradigm? As I finish, what we learn is we're, we need to bed in to our communities, be a people of place, committed to the people around us, not, just to, to, not measuring our church size through our transfer growth, but actually measuring our community, looking at our community and saying, that's what we're called to. We need to be a people of peace and prosperity and seeking the well-being of our community. The church was always meant to look outside itself, not look into itself and work for the well-being of the community. If, if, if Jeremiah is promising Babylon to do it, if he's promising that, or saying to the people that they need to do it for Babylon, we can do it for our nation and our city. We need to be a people of promise and plans. In, in other words, taking hold of the promises of God and God's plans. And finally, we need to be a people of prayer and passion. Here's your current song where I started. I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. I'm praying to a God that I don't believe in. I'm falling to pieces. Is that, is that the song for our church? I don't think so. Maybe it's more like Psalm 121. Our new song is, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth, Lord of all the earth. I hope this has blessed you. I hope this whole campaign has, has got us thinking through, through a, a new day, new wine for a new era. Bless you. Love you. Let's do this. Let's get into this. Amen? Amen? Let's, let's give our heart to this. If, you, if we seek him wholeheartedly, we will find him. Amen? Bless you. Have a, look, it's going to be amazing. Amen.